Welcome to the Top Order Podcast, 25th of Jan, 22 here in Auckland, New Zealand. We are in a red traffic light, but we're all together to record this week in cricket. We'll also have another episode coming up in your feed a little later in the week as well. The Hall of Fame, back by popular request. But on tonight's This Week in Cricket, we're going to talk West Indies, England. Elise Perry left out of an Australian women's team. India versus South Africa, the Super Smash, the Big Bash, and a whole host more. Stay tuned. Well, guys, where do we want to start? We've got domestic tournaments galore. Bordy, I'll probably come to you for your compatriots in the BBL. Uh, and then we'll talk a little bit of Super Smash with Lippy as well. But yeah, what's going on in, in the BBL? We've had the Eliminator, the Dominator, the Procrastinator. procrastinator. And then, then the Money Spinner is the is the one coming up uh, in preparation for the grand final. Three teams remain in the Big Bash. Uh, the Adelaide Strikers had a pretty, actually, a pretty entertaining game eliminating uh, Shane Bond's Sydney Thunder earlier in the week. Even well, though used he's to not, be Shane Bond. Even though he's not coaching them, they're still the Shane Bond-led <laughs> Sydney Thunder, in my view. He was bowling, he was bowling in, the big, in the Black Clash. There you go. Uh, now the Strikers will move on to play the other Sydney team, that is the Sydney Sixers, on Australia Day in Sydney at the G, that is the SCG, for the right to lose to Perth Scorchers in the final on Friday, January the 28th at Marvel Stadium in Docklands. That's not the MCG, that's the covered one in Melbourne where they play all the AFL. So Perth Scorchers are going to win the uh, the Big Bash 11. <laughs> simple as that. Yeah, simple as that, really. Moving they've been, they've so been the best team all tournament. So stick your money on the, stick on your the money strikers, on the strikers or the yep. <laughs> I've said that the, the Scorchers can't lose, so put all your hard-earned on the strikers. Look, a couple of controversies in the BBL in recent times. We haven't covered it yet on the podcast, but of course, Stephen Smith, the Australian uh, technician, uh, wasn't able to go back and play for the Sydney Sixers, probably didn't expect to play, but then uh, given that the New Zealand tour was postponed, he wanted to play for the Sydney Sixers in the BBL and was unable to. Yeah, why, why was that? I probably didn't follow that story close enough. I kind of just saw him saying, I'm available, and then everyone sort of saying you can't play mm. and whining about why he couldn't play. I saw Pat Cummins even trolling the uh, the Cricket Australia uh, feed, basically saying, you know, I think they said, who who do you want to see in the in the BBL this week? And he he wrote Smithy, yeah, which was great. Uh, but, Raj, yeah. can, can you cue the can you cue the uh, the the beep to oh, yeah. beep out my swearing? No it's an administrative stuff up uh, for Cricket Australia, and I'm still waiting the, for the beep. Oh. <laughs> I was going to swear, but then I decided against okay, it to keep sorry. it G-rated. You don't need to queue it up anymore. No, he's no, you, decided you're good to now. go PG. I've yeah. gone PG. Uh, administrative stuff up. So, <laughs> thanks very much. <laughs> Better late than never. So you meant fuck up, right? Yes, I did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> very good. Right. I hope this is all staying in. And back, on to, back, back on to the podcast. Right. Okay, so COVID happened, right? And all of the... Oh, tell us a bit about that. Yeah, so all the BBL teams had to get extra players from somewhere. Otherwise, they weren't going to be able to field a side. So guys from club cricket in Melbourne and various other places were being drafted in, and effectively the rules were relaxed to allow a pool of local players to be selected, right? And that was the loosening of the normal eligibility rules. And and some of those players played for more than one team in the competition. Absolutely, played for several clubs. And and that was was all okay. That was all above board, all tickety-boo. Now... In their foresight, the administrators and the list managers of those clubs didn't put the test managers into that player pool, or the test players, sorry, into that player pool. And so what happened when the tour was cancelled, none of those test players were on the lists for those for those squads. They weren't contracted players and they weren't in the local player pool. And then Cricket Australia said, well, no, you can't call those players 
into the squad to play finals cricket. They had to come from the registered player pool of which Steve Smith, etc., etc., weren't a part because one, they didn't expect to play in the tournament and B, they were going to be playing New Zealand anyway. So when all that fell over, no one had done their contingency planning to say, well, actually, why don't we just put their names down on the list anyway, just in case, just in case, just in case. And lo and behold, it all came to pass that Steve Smith couldn't play in the Big Bash, and there you go. Well, or the fact that they changed the rules beforehand, they couldn't just change them again. <laughs> well, that would that would, that would would be, uh, to quote Cricket Australia, uh, degrading the integrity of the competition right. if they were to just allow Steve Smith to appear in the finals, having not played or been eligible yeah, to so play. Yeah, so due respect... Today. Degrade the integrity of the competition. So nothing against Justin Avendano, but he turned out, I think, for the Melbourne Stars one day, gave his jersey back and then went and played a game for, I think, Sydney in the very, ne- the very next day at a different stadium against the same team that he'd played the day before. <laughs> so that might not be completely accurate, but listeners, you get the point that we're trying to make. Yeah, once, some player played twice. Uh, the other thing that was... <laughs> Controversial. Well, no, it was, this it was Avendano was one of the. Oh, players. was he one of the guys? Sorry, dead, dead set. Okay. But it might not have been that he played for those clubs on those days. And we're still yet to see Sam Billings come back from the West Indies. He might play or might not yet play. Yeah, no, he's found the flux capacitor and, and he's, he's, he's on, on the way. way. Yeah. Okay, excellent, fantastic. Uh, the other thing that caught my eye this week, Maxwell, Glenn Maxwell, that's the Australian superstar number four batsman and offspin bowler, Glenn Maxwell, not in the best uh, eleven for the tournament. So the tournament team was picked by the eight coaches. And the eight coaches saw fit to add a bunch of guys into the team, um, including picking two X-Factor reserve players, of which Jason Sanger from Shane Bond's The Sydney Thunder was one. Uh, but no room for Maxi, despite hitting a record 154 not out in his last outing, having recovered from COVID and then uh, smashing 154 how not out, the, which was a record. Uh, how was the rest of his tournament, apart from that big 100? Reasonable, I think. But, I mean, if you hit 154, you probably and break all sorts of records, both in terms of team score and personal score. I think you're pretty close to being in the team of the tournament. I would have had him in place of maybe Jason Sanger, at least as an X-Factor player. I mean, that's what he is, right? Uh, but yeah, that w- that one just caught my eye this week. Ma- Glenn Maxwell, not the best 13 players in Australia's Big, B- Big Bash number 11. We'll hop across the ditch. So Super Smash also coming to a climax. Um, Lippy, the Wellington women have gone pretty well, 10 from 10. Um, so that's, uh, yeah, perhaps England can take some lessons from that kind of record. But w- what else is going on in terms of finals coming up in the in the Super Smash? Yeah, so look, uh, Thursday New Zealand time is, is when the uh, eliminator is, if you, if you want to put it in uh, BBL terms. But there's only three teams. First team goes straight to the final. And you've already mentioned the, the Blaze straight into the final and the women's comp. I mean, just they've just been unbelievable. They've been unbelievable for... For quite a few years now, and you look, you know, you look up and down their their roster. It's just stacked. The Kerr sisters, Sophie Devine, Lee Casper, it, 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 Maddie Green. They're, they're just, you know, everywhere up and down. It's just white ferns galore and, and young, promising players. So, look, it feels. I've said it. I think for the last three weeks that they seem unstoppable. Um, I just can't see how anyone beats them. The Sparks play against the the Auckland Hearts on Thursday for the right. I guess, as Baldy would say, to, to lose to the, the Blaze in the final. But, you know, I think the only way that anything would change there is that, that Susie Bates pulls out something special in, in the uh, in the final for, for the Sparks because I do think that they will beat the Hearts and then it's just a matter of her pulling out something special in that final. I guess the only thing with T20 is someone can have a day out um, and if they do, but particularly... Um, a, a player of Bates's quality can actually take a game away in a relatively short space of time. So whoever does line up, I think has got to go in with that mentality. Yeah, well, it, that's and that's fair enough. And I mean, they 
you know, you look down the Sparks lineup, they also have a lot of talented players. And, and you mentioned Bates. I mean, I mentioned Bates as well. You look at the top run score charts, she's 100 runs clear of everyone else, uh, you know, at, at this point. And, yeah, she, I mean, I guess that's the the probably the real positive to come out of the Super Smash on the women's side is that all the White Ferns players or the players we expect to be in the White Ferns coming up, leading up to this India series that starts on February 9 and then going into the, the Women's World Cup, they're all in form. You know, we, we saw Amy Satterthwaite uh, last week scoring a, a 100 for Canterbury. We've seen, like just said, Susie Bates, Amelia Kerr, Jess Kerr, they're, they're all bowling really well. And, yeah, you know, I guess that at least gives us confidence that the best players, they, they are the best players in New Zealand and we're going to be able to, they're going in with some form and hopefully some confidence. And uh, I think we said last week that that India series is going to be a real test to see where New Zealand is at going into going into that Women's World Cup which I guess sadly is likely to have no fans, which is probably an, another thing that we'll, we'll end up talking about it as we go on here. So let's move across to the men's competition. I know we want to talk a few um, talking points around the game and we can lead into some sort of international conjecture there as well with Devin Conway missing out on the ICC men's test team of the year and any gong really or award or mention in, in that as well. So yeah, what have you got for us domestically on the men's front, Lippe? Yeah, so look, uh, I guess from the, the men's side, uh, we actually saw, uh, we, we played a really important part in Tim Seifert's uh, return to form <laughs> oh, yeah, <we> did. <laughs> last week, that which was brilliant. The commentator's curse re- working in reverse, which was which was really nice to see. You know, we detailed his struggles and then suddenly straight away went out and scored a, a match-winning 88 that put the um, Northern Brave into the the first place and and straight into that final so they'll be the ones contesting that final on Saturday uh, and then on the the other side we've got uh, Wellington uh, Firebirds and the oh, forgetting all these names but Wellington and, and Canterbury playing Kings. and Canterbury Kings playing Is in it the, the Northern Brave I thought they were the Knights yeah changed, they changed now it's Northern Brave it's uh, that's what I mean both you can't you can't keep up the brave. right yeah. I got a pair of shorts with the Knights and so they're out of date mm, out of yeah, date okay. out of date. Yeah, exactly. So, look, I actually think it's it's a much more even competition. I mean, if you look at uh, the the Brave in terms of their their full run of the the year, you'd certainly say on paper and and the the tournament that they had that they go in deserving winners probably of this tournament. But but I actually think there's just so many variables in in this uh, in this side. No matter who makes it through to the the final against to to play against the Brave. With adding all these New Zealand players back, you know, if you look at Wellington now, you look at that lineup, and it's Conway, it's Finn Allen, there's Michael Bracewell, who's in great form, and, and you know, someone who's not necessarily recognised on those international stages, but you know, you've got Blundell, Ravindra, yeah, their, their top order now looks incredibly explosive, and um, you know, you, you wouldn't back against Devin Conway in a big game to to win you a game. So look, I, I think that one's much more up in the air. Canterbury as well. You look at the likes of uh, Tom Latham, who's come back and just scored a, a nice 50 for them. But then ND, there's there's De Gronholm, there's Southie and Bolton, Santner are all back. So I guess that that's the one positive right out of this tournament being, or this tour to Australia being cancelled, is that we get to see, you know, this marquee tournament, which it is in New Zealand. It's the one that's being publicised, it's being shown on free to wear TV. We're going to get to see all those New Zealand players play in the final. Uh, whether that's on the White Fern side or the Black Caps side, so look if you ha- if you had to tip, uh, get me to tip uh, a winner in the in the men's, I, I think I would go for Wellington. 
Um, you know, they've obviously got to get past Canterbury first. But uh, yeah, like I said, I just think the the it's it's the Conway factor. You know, we d- we're very big fans of Conway here on this podcast. I mean, um, I just think that in a big game, someone like him, he's he comes off. Finn Allen just smashed it the other day. Those guys come off, and it's it's a very tough ask for ND. And I guess for those of you around the world who may not have picked up on the news, um, New Zealand back into the red traffic light system, which means gatherings of under um, over 100, sorry, not allowed, which obviously applies to sporting contests. So by the looks of it, the rest of the summer played behind closed doors, although the messaging seems to be that the cricket will continue, um, albeit without fans uh, fans in the stadium. Yeah, that, that's what I've seen. And it looks like, well, certainly for the Super Smash, we're going to have no fans for the, these finals, which is obviously a real shame. At least the positive there is that it's on free-to-air TV and, or, you know, that we're, it's it's very accessible for people to watch. The word with the Women's World Cup, and I think that I've seen a couple of times this week, and, and Grant Robertson, who's the sports minister here in New Zealand, has mentioned, he's talked about the idea of pods and, and whether you could, at stadiums, have pods of 100 people if they can enter through, you know, different exits and, and entry points and that they've trialled that in Super Smash games and it has worked to some degree, you know, who knows. The government has certainly shown that they're not especially willing to make exceptions for sport in New Zealand, but it would be a massive shame if, if this tournament goes ahead without fans because, you know, it's it's a marquee tournament for New Zealand. It's it's I, I, think, I think especially the kids, you know, it's such a shame for the kids to not be able to go and, and watch the, the women's game because it's a game that's growing immensely and and you know you see so many now when we talked to Katie Martin she talked about how there's kids that are saying you know they want to be Sophie Devine now and that that they want to be women's players and it's not when when Katie Martin was growing up or the only the only people that they saw were men's players so mm. yeah massive shame if, if they don't get to go to the ground and, and see those players play absolutely here here Let's move across, back across the ditch. We are um, enacting our very own trans-Tasman bubble here, um, hopping across uh, the Tasman left, right and centre. But we've got the women's ashes, which to be fair has started with a bit of a a hiss and a roar with the first T20 and then turned into a a, a damp squib with a couple of games in that T20 leg of the multi-format women's ashes lost to rain in Adelaide. Um, So potentially good for the winemakers, but not so much... Uh, for the cricketers. Mm. Yeah, not so much for the cricketers. Big win for Australia in that first T20 and then two games rained off, not not uh, no results there. The test match, one-off one off test match starts 27th of January, which is Thursday, if I'm not mistaken. Day and after Australia Day. Day after Australia Day. So it's the Australia Day, Australia Day test match is a women's test, Australia versus England, the old foe. And it looks like Australia have named a pretty strong squad. Uh, Tanya Vlamek has had a, a repeat of a stress fracture, so she's out. Um, and it looks like uh, Darcy Brown is in. Stella um, Campbell's in. Stella Campbell's also there, and Elise Perry's back into that test squad as well, uh, having been omitted from that first uh, T20. Much controversy caused when Elise Perry, uh, who was hailed in some Murdoch press reports in the Fox Sports press as being the greatest cricketer of all time, um, being left out of the Australian side, and of course she was. She hasn't been... Tremendous, but I think uh, Talia McGrath just destroyed England in that in that T20 and justified her selection. So, look, there's lots to play for, and the the game the series is now wide open with a couple of those uh, results missing out, which means points still up for grabs. And Mooney, is she likely to play the Test match? Broke a jaw, um, had it operated on, and then the next day was in the nets having throwdowns. 
Yeah, unbelievable. I mean, I've had I've had that same jaw operation to put a plate in to, to fix a broken jaw, and uh, you're still pretty tender for a few days afterwards. So credit to her for getting back into the nets and, and getting in against the dog thrower. Again, she's been named in the squad, uh, but I, I imagine that the question will be down to her. Do you want to play? And if she says, yeah, I'm fit and ready to go, and she's a pretty tough cookie, I think she'll she'll play even with a, even with a broken jaw. So uh, full credit to her. That's not easy to do. So we'll move again. We're racking up the air points on this episode of the Top Order podcast. Off to India, South Africa. Conclusion of the ODIs um, there. Um, thoughts, feelings, emotions, guys? Well, India have gone another series loss. Have they won a cricket game in 2022? I don't think they've won an international game of men's cricket this year yet. Look, I think it's time to start start the overreaction, time to start the, the inquests, the inquiries, the, the full, full review of Rahul Dravid's tenure. Of course, I'm, I'm being a little bit flippant here, but there will be many people calling for a deep and lengthy inquiry into the state of Indian cricket because in that South African tour, they've really underperformed. I think South Africa, to be fair, have overachieved a little bit and have shown that they're a much better side than a lot of people give them credit for. But a lot of that Indian side, particularly in the Test Series, I think, have underperformed on that tour. What do you reckon, boys? Do we need to overreact to this 3-0 result and 2-0 in the Test Series? Uh, no, I don't think two so. 2-1. I... Give them a little bit of credit. Oh, 2-1. Fair <laughs> enough. So they won a Test before Christmas and yeah, then they lost They won the Boxing Day Test. Yeah, okay. yeah. Fair enough. Uh, no, I don't think we need to overreact. I think Indian cricket is moving into a new era with Rahul Dravid at the helm in terms of coaching. You've got different captaincy across all three formats and, and you've got a little bit of maybe underlying aggression or angst there within those sort of leadership ranks. But I think it will settle down. They've got a really, uh, probably rude to say, easy summer coming up, but maybe one of the easier summers that they've had over the past few years with the West Indies and Sri Lanka uh, in their home season coming up. Uh, so, yeah, I think that we should hold the overreactions until after that, uh, that, that, that home season that they've got there. Uh, you've had Rohit Sharma out of the side. You've had uh, Ravindra Jadeja out of the side. You've had a lot of key pieces that have been missing. Um, and just on the captaincy stuff that we were talking about a couple of pods ago, uh, it looks to me like Rohit Sharma may take over that mm -hmm. Red Bull captaincy, making him a three-format captain. Yeah, you, you. I think I mentioned that and got shouted down. So I'll take a little bit of credit for, uh, yeah, for Rohit Sharma. We'll have to bring it up next week. I think you said it's not very often there's a three format captain, but yeah, we'll maybe maybe yeah. discuss it. But you know, <laughs> in light of the fact that we try and claim any prediction, yeah. um, you know, yeah, well, I, I, at the end of the day, I, I did get my prediction of the Ashes being called off ratified last week. So <laughs> I can probably go with uh, go with a little bit of credit for actually having said that. Um, on on the South African side, uh, like you just mentioned it before. You know, very, very. Uh, we we got to start Impressive. thinking that yeah, that that they're doing a really good job here, and that they're building even despite some of the off-field stuff that is still going on in, mm. in the in the boardroom and, and things there, which is, you know, not so good. Which is really odd that Batch is still in charge of the team um, during this. Yeah, look, I'm sure that's all going to come out in the wash. But um, wow, that's a a strange set of circumstances. Normally, in any other you know, business environment, you, you, you know, you're, you're charged with gross misconduct, you're, you're stood down on full pay as a very minimum, you certainly don't um, continue um, at, at the, yeah, at the helm. But yeah, really strange to see what's going on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, abs absolutely. I mean, I think we'll see in a few weeks, right, what, what's going to happen. And, you know, who, who knows, hopefully it doesn't disrupt 
what's going on here because they must, you know, soon be thinking about leaving to New Zealand. And I'm, you know, I guess it's just made me really excited for this series. And it made me a little bit disappointed that we're not playing like a full stack series against mm. them with three tests and mm. three ODIs and, and some T20s as well. What I find interesting is that a lot of that team, well, that team's the same team that's actually been underperforming over the last, yeah. you know, 18 months or so. But these guys have started to stand up. You know, Van der Dussen, Bavuma as well. Mm. I think he deserves a massive pat on the back, taking on Agreed. leadership responsibilities and then scored some some really good runs. And, and Quinton de Kock coming back into the, the white ball format and, and playing really well. So there is growth there, which is exciting to see because we know they've got the bowling attack yeah. to, to, to match any team in the world. Uh, now they're starting to put some runs on the board. And the thing that impressed me about their bowling attacker was that it's been some of their spin bowlers who've been successful against India, outpointed, I think, some more fancied spin opponents on that Indian side. And traditionally, Raj, it's been the pace bowlers that have been doing the job for South Africa. But in this particular instance, particularly, I think, in the second ODI, their spin bowlers really uh, led them to victory. And I think the difference between the two sides at the end of the day has been that South Africa's bowlers have outpointed India's bowlers throughout the series and have been able to bowl India out for low scores and South Africa's batters have been able to get on top of that much vaunted Indian bowling attack that we expected at least in the tests to be a real force because they were so successful in Australian conditions two years before so massive credit has to go to South Africa and and it's I think things are just we just need to keep an eye on that Indian situation and see how they bounce back in their home conditions. Yeah, I think the, the other factor is that you know South Africa at home, and you know we often talk about how difficult it is um, to win away in any format. Um, and South, South Africa's problems off the field have been well documented. But as we've talked about, that they've got a, a decent crop of players coming through. It seems as if um, guys are playing for the ca- the respective captains now, um, and they've got you know, got a bit of a, a team ethos going um, within the playing 11s at least. And um, yeah, look, that's shown in their on the field results. And. Um, I mean, a you, you, couple of players you just mentioned before, Raj, Van der Dussen. Did you guys, were you guys aware that he averages 75 in ODI cricket? It's unbelievable. 30 odd, 30 odd games. I mean, you know, he's had 26 innings, nine not out. Like, you know, there's, you would think that he's. Small sample size. It's a small sample size, but. He's had a lot of red inkers. And he, even in this series, I think he had, yeah. two, he was averaging over 200, I think. Yeah, in this series, two so. games. That's a, that's a reasonable sample size. Mm. Yeah. Um, but look, you know, and, and Bavuma, I want to pick up on Bavuma and, and just fully agree with you because I think, you know, we look at 12 months ago, you know, when we talked to Fudos Munda and we were saying, you know, who's going to be the captain of South Africa? And there was so much talk then about, you know, Bavuma is perhaps the, the natural person to fill that void, but it can he even fill his spot in the side? But now he's putting up, I think they performed really well in that T20 World Cup. You know, yes, they didn't make it through to the, the playoffs, but they performed really well despite all the off-field stuff again in that tournament. He's, and he's actually putting up winning performances. He's, he's contributing performances that, that are leading to his side winning with the, with the bat. So, yeah, I, I think he deserves massive credit for someone who, who hasn't got it in the past for South Africa. So just to round off our, um, uh, the India South Africa series, there's a nice tweet there from Graham Smith to thanking the uh, – BCCI and Sarev Ganguly and your mate uh, Jay Shah, Stu, <laughs> um, for for actually turning up. You know, the, it says here to, to the Indian players and and management for the faith you showed in South Africa's cricket ability to pull off a safe and successful tour. I think that's a bit of a, a bit of a stab there at the Australians and then the English for leaving halfway through and the Australians not actually um, um, coming. What, what do you make of that? That this was a this was a time where India were probably I thought they were never going to go when we heard about this new variant coming out, but they went there and they showed that you can play 
cricket in a COVID environment, in a bubble environment, whether the players want to do it. I guess that, that that's big props, I feel, for India for actually going. Yeah. And, and South Africa for actually pulling it off as well. Yeah, look, I've, I've probably got two things to say. So this is Graham Smith to Sarah Ganguly uh, via Twitter. So it's just a clear case of cricket friend. <laughs> uh, but the second and more serious point that I'll make is I, I think it's pretty harsh if that was a PASAG comment around um, England. Um, and look, I'm going to fight my corner here. Um, we have played more test cricket in a COVID environment than any other nation. We've just played the only five test series to have been conducted during COVID times. Every other series has been uh, a maximum of, I think, four tests. Um, India, of, of course, leaving England um, a test early, and, and that's been rescheduled, I think, for next year. So, um, look, I think pretty harsh if that's if that's a dig. I think that the situation has massively evolved um, from that England pulling out of a South Africa tour, and we didn't really actually know a massive amount about COVID at that particular point so you could understand that fear we, we have obviously learned a little bit to live and cope with it a little bit better but look I, I, I guess it is if it's in a genuine intent that that that, that tweet um, I think we've actually got to say do you know what he's dead right because um, without that kind of commitment we're not going to see sport um, yeah sport played um, so look fantastic that they got the series on and got um, all of the series in as well we should probably do some more emails now and, and yeah, head to the go, West Indies. Yeah, let's go Joburg. Um, Joburg to Schiphol, Schiphol to London, London to Barbados, and um, then we can get off the plane and talk about the T20 series that's kicked off there. So, yeah, look, England disappointing in the first game. I don't know if you guys uh, saw too much about it. You certainly gave me some shit on the Slack channel. Certainly it was letting over you know about quite the quickly. Yeah. It was quite quick. Yeah, I wanted to watch it, but it was over reasonably quick. I couldn't get... <laughs> get on the couple no no jimmy anderson no stuart broad in the, in the first game that i i have stolen that from a friend of the podcast barat sunderason but i saw that did uh that you know what, what are they doing england just not not picking these guys in, the, in their first game of the series yeah, look, absolutely. I think, um, unfortunately, they only had one business class um, seat available and Sam Billings had, had already guaranteed it with uh, his negotiations for flying out for the test series. So, um, yeah, unfortunately, Brody and, and Jimmy still stuck at the airport, I think. Um, in all seriousness, though, um, yeah, look, a disappointing performance in that first game. I, I think the wicket that they played on compared to the practice game where Jason Roy scored a big 100 and England got uh, 200 against, albeit a Barbados Invitational 11, didn't actually stack up in that, that game. That The wicket that they played on actually just held in the surface a little bit um, and probably didn't suit England's current t20 modus operandi of going out and giving it a massive biff um in that first uh you know that first power play uh, when you're four down in the power play you, you know it, it's difficult to come back from some late order hitting got england back in the game but it obviously wasn't um enough runs but look we saw i guess a return uh, normal service resumed um from the england team in the second game albeit a little bit of a squeaky bum um only winning by a single run when you actually look at it um the game was pretty much over going into that last over a fantastic uh, fantastic hitting um but yeah it, it would have been um it would have been a, another um ian bishop remember the name um <laughs> sort of comment if they'd have got over the line in that final over the thing that really impressed me in that second game for West Indies, yes, they went down by a run, and they were 60 for six or something like that in that chase of 170, 181, I think it was from England, whatever it was, is that it's the young guys who've started to step up. So for West Indies, both Bravos, Pollard, Dre Russ, Gale, Ravi Rumpel, all of these guys are in their late 30s and, and they're in the back end of their careers or have recently retired. 
the lament was who are the young players who are starting to step up for West Indies and going to show us the way forward. And Romario Shepard and, and Akil Hussain in that chase have shown us that they've got some metal not to roll over and die when the situation gets tough. So there's plenty to like about that second result for the West Indies in that they've got young players who are starting to step up and play meaningful contributions on the international stage. Yeah, I also think it's interesting that they've been able to bring back some more experienced heads as well. Got a lot like the likes of Shy Hope and, um, as you mentioned, uh, Darren Bravo. Darren Bravo, They're yeah. Bringing them back into the squad after they've lost some of those seasoned campaigners. So it's good to be able to bring back, bring, actually bring in seasoned international experience into this into the side, and it shows a little bit of depth there as well. Brandon King, I see you didn't mention as well, the opener scored 50-odd, yep. looked very good, got a duck in the second innings, but, sorry, second uh, 2020, but he looked um, looked good mm. opening the batting. So, yes, the future looks bright for Western East Cricket. Yeah, I think the final thing I'll add from an England perspective is this is really, a, um, if not a second-string side, it's certainly um, a one-and-a-half-string side. We've got the likes of Johnny Bairstow, Joss Butler, Jofra Archer, Liam Livingston, um, all missing from that lineup as well. So uh, chances for people like Reese Topley, Saqib Mahmood um, coming in. Um, and interestingly as well, England picking, I think, four left-arm seamers in this squad. Um, and so far, uh, Tim Al Mill's got a go, a go in the first game. Reese Topley's got a go. David Payne from Gloucestershire is the other guy um, that hasn't had, a, uh, hasn't had a crack yet. And George Garton, who's played a little bit of big bash cricket as well. Mm. So interesting that they may be playing around with uh, what that looks like as an option. Um, and look, maybe might, might see um, two of them in, this, in the same dig. It's, it's normally that left arm is the point of difference. Why, why not have your right armour as the point of difference and play three left arm seamers? What do you make, if I can put you on blast here, Binksy, of the... Um the, the 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 as you would say the tapage that um you know the likes of chris jordan uh, has been getting in the world cup he got a similar sort of um uh beating in a couple of those two a couple of the games towards the end of the the sea, uh, the tournament there uh is it a bit of a, a worry to you yeah, look, it's certainly a worry when your death bowlers go in for 13 and over. Um, yeah, ne never normally a good sign uh, as teams take the game um, deep and, and, and look to chase, you know, 12, 13 and over. That, you know, that's now bizarrely comfortable if you're doing that in the last four, you know, four or five overs of a game with wickets in hand. And um, interestingly, they spoke to Owen Morgan after the game. And, um, you know, look, I, I can't remember who it was. It might have been Steve Harmison. and it was certainly an old former pro who just said, why aren't you bowling Yorkers? And Owen Morgan said we were trying and we missed rather than actually saying, you know, the plans were different. Um, actually admitted that it was actually execution of skill um, that was letting um, England down. And um, look, I guess that, that, you know, that will be a worry. But I think the good thing is really there's not a massive amount on these games um, as we lead into that T20 um, World Cup. So the fact that Saqib Mahmood has had an opportunity to bowl a last over where he's got taken for 30, um, hopefully has learnt something from that. Um, the same with, you know, the same with the likes of Jordan and, and other guys that mm. will no doubt get a go throughout the rest of the series. And getting bashed up in the West Indies is a good form bellwether indicator for success in the next World Cup because that happened to <laughs> Australia in their preparation for the last World Cup they got their B-side got belted by the West Indies and then they went on to win the tournament so you're looking good from that point their of view their B-side got belted everywhere yeah. they did Australia. Yeah, they did um, you you would have liked the the spin bowling that came out from, from Moin Ali and um, Adil Rashid they're, they're looking quite promising what, what I wanted to ask actually is a guy like Muhammad Ali Muhammad Ali <laughs> he was pretty, he was pretty good <laughs> he, was, he was good yeah a guy like Moin Ali 
how much longer do you think he actually has? Because if he's only playing sort of these formats for England, he could go on for a while. Yeah, look, I, I, what I've seen, and, and look, this is a, there's a couple of components to this. He's done a bit of punditry work on the Ashes where um, he, he's actually had a little bit of a spa with Alistair Cook. Uh, so Alistair Cook um, across the BT Sports couch. So really come out of his shell a little bit in terms of some of his views um, on the game. And I think has actually said as well that, you know, the fact that he's now only playing one format as sort of mentally actually really, really freed him up. And I think, um, look, if I'm being brutally honest, a lot of that is going to be down to Owen Morgan's captaincy. Um, you look at both Moen Ali and um, and Rashid, who you've just mentioned, both of whom have played, you know, enough test cricket um, to have had, a, a you know, a reasonable go at it. They really seem to want to play for Owen Morgan. He really trusts them. He understands them. He knows when and how to bowl them. Um um, Rashid himself, you know, has been asked to do things like open the bowling with a new ball in the power play. Um, and he's talked about how Morgan sort of actually come and put his arm around his shoulder and talk to him about it and, and how he's convinced him that that's, you know, an idea that that's then actually worked. Um, so look, I, I think to answer your question, yes. Um, I can see a blueprint here where um, Owen Morgan, if his back holds up, will want to play this T20 World Cup and he might even want to go on and play that 2023 um, white ball uh, 50 over tournament as well. And look, I wouldn't be surprised if he's trying to talk the likes of Adil Rashid, who only plays white ball cricket and Naimo in Ali, um, into having that little run with him because they um, you know, could prove the difference in those, uh, in those middle overs. Well, that just about exhausts our Round the World ticket on this week's episode of the Top Order podcast. We'll be back in your feed pretty soon, actually, with the next episode of the Hall of Fame. 60 to 56, a few controversial picks in there from Baldy that I'm sure will get shouted down over the next wee while. But we look forward to your company then. In the meantime, take care of yourselves, look after each other, and we'll see you soon on the next episode of the Top Order podcast. <laughs>